Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, You can take your seats. Uh, We're going to look at a a portion of Ephesians chapter 4, so if you want to get your Bibles open and get ready to that, that's fine, because we're going to read the text, and it'll be up on the screen as well. But before we begin, I just want to say something about um, the sermon series that Pastor Jamie did from the uh, Ephesians 6 passage about the armor of God. I thought it was was a bang-up job, just really excellent. I preached that, ser- that, that series a couple, of, a couple of different times, and I don't know. And, and I did this massive study on it in, in seminary, but the, the freshness that he brought to it, I thought, that was really excellent. And I, I just wanted to say that because I just wanted to say it. That's right. But it, it helps me to set up this very important point that you should know, and I will prove by Scripture, by God's Word, that Jamie is a, is a gift to the church. All right, so let's look at that word that says that, okay? I don't, I'm not blowing smoke here. I mean it. Just so you know. Just so you know. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, reading through verse 16. Now, what I want to say about this is we're not going to deal with that entire passage. We're going to deal with just four verses out of it, verses 11 and 12 and verses 14 and 15. So when we get there, just make a mental note for yourself. Here's what, uh, here's what Paul wrote. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, which we should note right away, there is no end to Christ's giftings. There's there's no end of his grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And here's the part where Jesus gives gifts to the church. And he gave gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, some translations will say pastor, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until... We all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is doing its work properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this word. Uh, We thank you that you haven't left us to figure out how how churches need to be structured or function. So we pray that you will teach us everything that we need to know from this passage this morning about our unity with, uh, uh, in Christ, um, the diversity of our gifts that are given to us by Christ, and how we grow into maturity, into the stature of Christ. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Now, the ch- uh, the, with the start of chapter 4, 
Uh, Paul is turning his attention to some practical Christian living in every aspect of a Christian's life. The first three chapters, he was laying out all of the marvelous things that Christ has done for us and, and brought us into the kingdom of God. And now he turns in chapter four to say, this is what it looks like as you live it. And so um, the first thing he says is, I want you to walk a worthy life, and it starts with unity. Now, if anybody here has ever coached a sports team or operated a business or directed a high school play, you know the one thing you have to have is unity. You need everybody on the same page. It's very hard to create. But once you achieve unity, what's the next hardest thing to do about unity? Keep it, exactly. So it's not because unity is, is uh, well, let me back up and say, part of the reason why unity is so difficult is because of diversity. And God has created diversity. He's given many, many gifts. So we're not to allow diversity to sabotage unity. There was a great book written several years ago about um, the things in corporations in America that sabotage uh, the unity and the teamwork of corporations. And this author pointed out five of them. Lack of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, and the lack of attention to results. And frankly, the church is not immune to any one of those. We can see them creep into the life of a church um, everywhere. It can happen. Um, you, know, you know, do you know why missionaries leave the field? At least the number one reason why missionaries leave the field? You know, you would think it's because of um, uh, a lack of money. You know, there's just not enough funds. Or, or because the, the, the fruit is, is not really coming or anything like that. Or maybe even homesickness. They may be homesick and so they leave the field. That's, those are not any of the first reasons. The number one reasons missionaries leave the field is because of conflict with other missionaries. They simply can't get along. And so we know this is a problem for the church, and Paul is calling the church to unity, which is really interesting and fascinating the way he outlines it, because unity becomes the framework in which maturity happens. And if you look at what's necessary for maturity, Paul points out these kinds of qualities, being like Christ, humility, gentleness, patience, putting up with the shortcomings and idiosyncrasies of other Christians. That's the stuff necessary for maturity to maintain unity. And, and that last one, putting up with shortcomings and idiosyncrasies, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I can really be a jerk sometimes. But it's not a sin to be a jerk. It's just annoying. And so with one another, we just have to put up with our shortcomings, our idiosyncrasies um, that are not sinful and grow up. Give one another grace. That's what Paul is saying. That's how you mature in Christ and hold together the unity of a church. Now, in spite of all of these kinds of conflicts and all of these setbacks, Jesus continues to build his church into one new humanity. He talks about that in chapter 2, verse 15. And, and Jesus is the only one that any of us would probably know who can take hostile groups and make them harmonious. He takes Jews and Gentiles, and he makes them one new man. Jesus does not make Jews into Gentiles or Gentiles into Jews. He's not going to make Russians into Ukrainians or Ukrainians into Russians. He's going to make one whole new kind of person 
that's like himself. And that is what Jesus is doing in the churches right now. In fact, Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians. He says, old things are passed away. You know, that old way that we used to be in our, in our tribes, in our preferences and everything else, that's all passed away. Now, the new life in Christ has come. So Paul is here going to tell us what we need in order to grow into the maturity of Christ. Basically, what he says is we need equipment. We need to be equipped. So we're going to ask Three questions of this text. How does Jesus equip the saints? That's verse 11. How does, uh, why does Jesus equip the saints? That's verse 12. And what's Jesus' goal for equipping the saints? Verses 14 and 15. So let's ask that first question. How does Jesus do this? How does he equip us for the work of the ministry? And his answer is by giving gifts to the church. He gives gifted people to the church and, and they are the leaders of the church in order to carry out the mission of Jesus through the church. Now, Paul mentions them here, apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors, or some translations will say shepherds, and teachers. So who are these people, and what is it that they do? Well, the apostles and prophets, Paul has already settled for us who these, who these are that he is referring to. It's in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. The apostles are those men that Jesus chose after the night that he had prayed. He spent all night, remember, praying. I think we'll see that in, in Mark. He prayed all night long over a number of candidates that he had. I'm sure he had in mind those that he wanted, but he prayed over them. He, he, he had a dialogue with his father, asked his father to point out who needs to be these 12 men to be apostles. And uh, I've always been curious, when he got to the name Judas, I wonder how he prayed. Now, the Bible is silent on this. My guess is, though, that Jesus said, your will be done. Because Jesus knew from the beginning who was going to betray him. So we have these 12 men, and these 12 men were set aside to be apostles, and their qualifications were very, very clear. They had to be men who had been with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. They had to travel with him. They had to see and hear his sermons. They had to see the miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, they had to see his sufferings and his death on the cross and, and, and his resurrection. They had to have all of that as their qualifications to be his his, uh, his apostles. And they were super, after uh, Jesus ascended, they were supernaturally empowered in order to pass on the faith once delivered for all. So they faithfully wrote, they preached, and we see that the apostles' doctrine was what formed the foundation of the early church in Acts chapter 2. So who are the prophets? Well, these were men from the Old Testament, right? From Abraham. You have Abraham and you have um, uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Elijah and, and those minor prophets. You have them. So now what you have are men who were faithfully writing and communicating the word of God to the people of God in the Old Testament. You have the 12 apostles who were faithfully communicating what God had done through his son Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And this is the foundation of the church. These apostles and prophets come with a capital A. And I want to make that distinction because there's apostles and prophets with small a's and small p. Unique, one-time authority, capital A, capital P. These apostles and prophets were so authoritative by God's 
gifting that to disobey something they wrote or said was as much to disobey God himself. That's the authority that God had given them. And uh, even though they wrote thousands of years ago, and in some cases more than thousands, uh, you know, three or four thousand years ago, all of that is still binding on the church today. Now, there, we know from the New Testament that there were also apostles and prophets with small letters, you know, small a. Uh, we know that, for example, uh, Paul called Epaphroditus um, an apostle, small a. In, in this case, the word apostle generally means just messenger, somebody who's, who's delivering a message, like I've got a message that I want you know, to deliver to somebody and I give it to a friend and I said, take it over there and he takes it over there. He, you know, we call him an apostle, he's a messenger and that's really all Paul has in mind. There's about 20 or so names like that in the New Testament. But there's also a prophet in the New Testament and other prophets. One I'm thinking of is Agabus. Agabus was, uh, shows up in Acts chapter um, 11 and in 21. Agabus forecast uh, that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And um, that was, was uh, inspired um, the collection for the saints who lived there. Uh, and in, verse, in chapter 21, very interestingly, Agabus told Paul, if you, go, if you return to Jerusalem... You're going to be arrested. You're going to be put in chains. You're going to be put in prison. Um, and uh, Paul said, yes, I know. It's okay. It's okay. So you can see the difference between apostles and prophets that are the capital letters and the small letters. They have a different role in a very different function. But they are still used in the New Testament. So who are the evangelists? Well, these are men who are engaged in the preaching of the gospel. We see that Philip, who is one of the original deacons, was called the evangelist, and they proclaim the word of God wherever they go. They're very good at it. It just rolls right out of them. But the evangelist also has a role in the life of the church, and that is to teach the church how to share the gospel. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here would say you have the gift of evangelism, and by that, this is what I mean. You are able to very naturally carry on a conversation with somebody, all about the gospel just comes out of you, uh, you know, like water out of a spigot, no problem at all. Anybody like that? A few people like that? There's not many of us. There's not many of us. Yeah, I, I like Jamie's illustration, you know, it's like, boy, it's 95 degrees and 99% humidity. Man, it's really hot. Yeah, you know what else is hot? It's kind of where I am. Just to force that gospel into every conversation. I think that's why Paul wrote to Timothy, who was not an evangelist. He was a pastor. And he said, do the work of an evangelist. So, yeah, we have to learn that. So, if you were given 60 seconds to tell somebody why they should believe in Christ or to share your own story of how you came to Christ in, like, 60 seconds, would you be able to do it? Have you got a plan of what you would say? You, you wouldn't even have to think about it. You would just say, here it is. Now, if you do, that's tremendous. You, you are to be commended. If you don't, I want to commend something to you, and that is the 2-7 series, which is taught by Haley Violet over here. You can always get in contact with her because you are trained right there in order to share the gospel in a very concise, short way, very clearly. And when it comes to sharing your testimony, it doesn't become a travelogue of your life. It becomes a very concise story. Here's, how, here's what I was like before I came to Christ. Here's how I came to Christ. And this is the difference he has made in my life. It's very simple. 
And that series does a very good job because during it, you're trained to write this stuff out and to commit it to memory. So I commend that to you. All right, shepherd and teacher. Now, sometimes some people will separate these and say there's pastors and there's teachers. Uh, and that's true. We have pastors who are called teaching pastors, uh, this is mostly in the Presbyterian church, not so much in Baptist churches, and then we have pastors who are pastors, and, and, but I think, I think they naturally belong together, at least by observation um, and experience, we see that there's a blending of these two, qualif- um, two gifts that are given to the church. Now, these are metaphoric words, right? A shepherd, I mean, a shepherd is a shepherd who watches over a flock, Yes, this is agricultural community living. But, but they're all metaphors, so they're pointing to something that is in reality. And so pastors oversee a, a, the people of God. And primarily the way pastors do that, especially today, is by ministering the word of God to the people of God. So I think there's a natural blending here um, of, of those two kinds of gifts. All right, let's move on to the second question, which is really the one I really want to hone in on for us, particularly this morning as the central point of this sermon, and that is uh, how does or why does Jesus equip the saints for ministry? And the answer to that is to be a ministering people. We are being sent into the world in the same way that Jesus was sent into the world, when we become Christians, we automatically enlist ourselves in Christ's incredible agenda of transformation of the world. We become his ministers in every location, at all times, and in all circumstances. Now, I want to have you think of, an, of a unique way of thinking of Cornerstone Church. We are the church when we're gathered. We are also the church when we're scattered. And in both places, we have ministry responsibilities. So let's ask the question, what do we think that Paul means by the phrase, the work of the ministry? When I got to this point in the sermon, the first thing I thought of was, if it were me sitting and hearing that, what I'd be hearing is, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the pitch to work in the nursery. (laughs) Now, I don't think that Paul has that on his mind. I think he's got a little bit bigger fish to fry, so to speak, than getting people to work in the nursery of his churches. They are important. Please don't misunderstand. But I think his focus when he is talking about the work of the ministry is ministry when we're scattered. And here's why I say that. The closest that Paul comes to describing the ministry, it's always about the gospel. It's never about anything else. But then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And he gives it a name. The closest part of Paul's theology to the gospel was this idea of reconciliation because for Paul, the gospel is about reconciliation, the most important reconciliation that can be known to humanity, and that is the reconciliation that happens between a sinful human being and a holy God. Now, reconciliation seeks to do something that only God can do. So, let's just say 
you and I have a beef with one another. We're, we got a, a thing between us, and, and the walls begin to go up. It's like a huge boulder in the road, and I, I'm, I'm not getting over it, and you're not getting over to me, and we're, we're staying arms apart. That's what our relationship with God is like before we come to Christ. And so what Jesus has done through the cross is to destroy that wall, tear it down, blow up that boulder so that there's access now to the Father. And he gives me the faith to be able to go to the Father in repentance and faith and trust in the Son so that now we have a relationship. Reconciliation is all about relationships. And now we are given, all of us who have been reconciled to Christ, we are given that same ministry of reconciliation, that we help other people reconcile with God and and with one another, because that's the ministry of reconciliation. I think that's on Paul's mind when we talk about the church scattered. Um, Jamie and I are reading a pretty interesting book called, by that title, Scattered and Gathered. It's all about the church. And in, in one of the chapters, the author looks at a, the number of hours that we have in a week. In order to understand the difference of being scattered out there versus being gathered together in here. And so what he does is to say, first of all, we all have 168 hours in a week. Can we agree on that? Yeah, you don't have to do the math. I did it because I'm no good at math. I did it a few times just to make sure. Out of those 168 hours, if you are able to get seven nights of eight hours sleep, you have 56 hours invested in sleep. Glorious sleep. I know young moms with young babies, not so much. It'll come, it'll come, empty nest, look forward to it. Now that leaves 112 hours for everything else in our life, everything. Family life, work life, leisure life, church life. Now how many hours do we actually spend in church? I, he says 10, I think that's a little high, but let's just for the sake of argument go with 10. We spend 10 hours a week in church. That means there's 102 hours out there. We are Cornerstone Church when we are gathered together for 10 hours a week, and we are Cornerstone Church when we are scattered out there for 102 hours a week, and we have ministry uh, responsibilities in both places. I, re I read a story about how this works, and it was this fascinating story. There's a a grandmother who um, was feeling uh, much like a failure in her discipleship. She, she did not feel that uh, she was uh, following um, the Lord very well, and she was kind of depressed about it, so she went to talk to her pastor. And so he, he asked her, what's, what's going on? And she said, well, it just seems like all I ever do is I clean my house, I go grocery shopping, and I watch the grandkids every now and then. We'll call her Martha. And the pastor said to Martha, oh, I didn't know you had grandchildren. Why don't you tell me about your grandchildren? So she did. She told him about it. And she sa he said, well, what do you do? When you, when you do pick them up, what, what do you do? He said, well, I'll go and pick them up and take them home, uh, pick them up from school, take them home. But she said, you know, there's, there's one day a week when my granddaughter comes over for dinner on Sunday afternoon after church, and uh, 
I, I really look forward to that time. He said, well, tell me, what, what in the world do you do when she comes over? He said, and Martha says, well, you know, we're, we're cooking dinner. I'm setting the table, or she's doing this and that and the other thing. And, and she'll always ask me, you know, what, what's going on in church today, Grandma? And, and I'll tell her. I'll tell her about the hymns and the songs that we sang and the, and the prayer that the elder gave. And uh, I'll, I'll tell her about your sermon and, and what you said. And and, um, you know, and, and then all the kinds of conversations that I had. Now, the pastor's thinking, well, this is a really nice, very, you know, a really nice grandmotherly thing to do. And he's thinking this, this granddaughter must be about eight or nine years old. So he asked, tell me, how old is your granddaughter anyway? And she said, Martha said, well, she's uh, 22. 22. All of a sudden, the lights went on in the pastor's mind. He and his church have been frustrated for a long time because... They were all about 65 and over. They were not reaching the younger generation. They tried things that nothing worked, and he didn't know. He was just frustrated. How am I going to do this? And sitting in front of him is Martha with a ministry that she doesn't even know about to her granddaughter. She is telling her granddaughter about the pastor's sermons every week. And the pastor begins to think, what can I say, what can I do next week in my sermon to make my sermon relevant to a 22-year-old young woman? And so he said to Martha, listen, Martha, do you have, do you have anybody that knows about this going on at your house? She says, no, I've, I've never talked to anybody about my grandchildren. She says, well, he says, well, you really should. You need to ask those people to pray for you so that when your granddaughter comes over, you are backed up by prayer so that something really supernatural and wonderful happens in the life of your granddaughter. She said, okay, I'll do that. And he sent her on her way. As he said, I sent her back into the ministry she didn't even know she already had. Now, let me ask you a question. Before you leave today, can you remember to do one thing? Here's the phrase, this time tomorrow. Everybody say, this time tomorrow. <laughs> this time tomorrow. Stop with someone that you know or somebody you don't, doesn't matter. This time tomorrow, a small group later, today, during the week, whatever, this time tomorrow, and ask somebody, what's going on in your life this time tomorrow, Tuesday, or whenever? This time tomorrow, who are you going to be with? What's that going to be about, and how can I pray? Every one of us faces challenges all through the week. That's a good time to pray for someone. Don't you think it's good to have one another's back in prayer like that? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you just sort of like go into that tough meeting knowing, man, I got, a, I got a couple of guys praying for me. I tried this last week with a, a friend of mine. Um, he, was, he was heading for an interview uh, during the week in his uh, uh, company that he works for, and uh, he wasn't really sure if he wanted the job and whether or not he should take it or whether or not he'd even get it. So I said, well, when is that interview going to be happening? And he told me Thursday morning. He told me what time, and I said, good, I will pray for you at that time on Thursday morning. And you know what I did? I completely forgot. <laughs> well, when I see him next, I'm going to tell him it's because I was sick. <laughs> but I did remember Friday morning, right at that time, that should have been Thursday morning. And knowing that God is no respecter of time, he sees the beginning from the end, I prayed right at that moment, God, give him the grace he needs to know whether or not this is for him. I figure God can work this thing out. It's good to know that we would have one another's back that way. And let's make that a practice here at our church. 
We'd be, we'd be praying for frontline ministry, just like that grandmother. Okay, so that's scattered ministry. What about gathered ministry? We also have that. Now, this word equipped becomes really important at this point. Um, the word equipped that Paul uses here means making something adequate or sufficient. And it's got many, many uses in the New Testament and is translated a variety of different ways that gives us a picture of what it means for the church gathered. We are, we are um, builders of the body. Let's call it body builders as a gathered ministry. So, for example, this word is used in Matthew chapter 4. When James and John are by the sea and they're mending their nets, repairing their nets, that's when Jesus calls them. And that word, repair, is the same word that Paul uses here for equip, exactly the same word. So we know that preparation or equipping also means repairing, repairing something that's broken. In other places, I'll just give you a thumbnail sketch. It means complete to complete something, to train someone, to disciple a person, to prepare someone for a duty, and to comfort them. So when we apply this to the life of the church, we take all of those words and we say, these are all the things that we need in order to build up the body of Christ. It's sort of a mutual training society, kind of like a gym. I bet you didn't know that I used to lift weights. You can laugh. You can. I did, didn't do me any good. But one day I was in the gym and I'm watching these guys who, you know, they're lifting 100 pound weights in one hand and the other hand, I'm thinking, oh, I'll never get there. I can't even use two hands on a 100 pound weight. So I'm using my little 15 pounders, you know, and I'm doing my thing and, and, I'm, and, and I'm really bad at it. And this fellow comes over, you know, and he's like, boom, buff, really tough guy. You know, not tough, but he's a friendly guy. He says, he says kindly. You're doing that all wrong. So, well, of course, I'm doing it wrong. Look at me. <laughs> so he showed me the technique that I needed, and it made a difference. I could feel the pain. <laughs> so I went back to my old way. Um, but, but that's the point. The, the building up is, is costing something. It's, it's putting pressure on those muscles in order that they are strengthened. Also on your bones so that they are strengthened. That's the whole point. I'm building up my physical body. In the church, we're building up the church body in order to grow in greater knowledge of our faith. To understand that Christianity is distinct from every other religion, every other philosophy in the world. We are being trained to mend broken relationships not allowing forgiveness or bitterness to ever get a foothold in the church and giving comfort where um, the healing salve of gospel grace is necessary when someone is broken in sin. The ministry of the word of God builds up and strengthens and transforms lives and happens every time the people of God get together and the word of God is present. It's happening right now to our children downstairs. As those teachers are ministering the gospel, uh, truths to our children, they are being transformed in their lives. You know where else this happens? This is the best place that I, as far as I am concerned, it happens when we sing. You know, in Colossians it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and then it tells us how, by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
And so we sing. We sing together. Listen, when we sing together, we are singing and teaching one another about who Jesus is, about who we are, about the great things that he's done, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, all of that. We're hearing it again and again and again. And the gospel is being preached to us once again. And we should just, uh, just suck it up. Just take it in. And let it get down deep into our soul. I don't sing very well, so sometimes I just am quiet. But I listen to everybody else singing, and it's just really wonderful to really hear those words and take them in for myself. But you know the best part about singing is the personal effect that it has on your own soul. You know that uh, hymn, uh, Come, Thou Fount of Every uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing? The second line of that hymn is what we really need when we sing. The writer wrote, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Tune my heart like a piano. Tune it. Tune it. Tune it to be in tune with the grace of God. And why do I need that tuning? Because most of the week, my tuning is towards my throne. And I need time on Sunday for sure, other days of the week, when I'm asking the Spirit of God, tune my heart to your throne, O God, so that I am off my own and trusting in your grace. Singing is very important for Christians. Well, finally, what is the goal that Jesus has for the saints? Verses 14 and 15 tell us. Now, this whole section is quite long, but we're just going to focus on Uh, These two verses, um, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's there's three things that I want to say just about these two passages, these two verses. First of all, Saints are maturing in every way. Notice that. What is is Paul referring to? He's referring to every way. In every part of our life, every circumstance, every moment of our lives, God is doing something so that we are growing up into the image of Christ, even when it's messy. Do you know this picture? My plan versus God's plan for my life. Have you seen that? Is your, is, your, is your plan the top plan? That was my plan. Smooth sailing all the way to heaven. But then stuff happened. And I think the most precarious part of God's plan is that little bridge thing over the, the deep lake underneath. I, I don't know about that. I don't like heights. It looks pretty narrow. It looks like I'm not going to make it. That's our life. That's our life. Now, why is it? Wouldn't it be nice to just give our lives to Christ and then, boom, perfection? But yet, God does the messy thing with our lives. The reason that he does the messiness is because the messiness exposes our messiness so that he can clean us up. So never be discouraged by the messiness of your life. Just hang on to this quote. It's a great quote by John Newton. You can look it up. You can find it online. Just Google Newton and I am not what I ought to be. And here's what Newton said. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once was. 
I am not what I once used to be, and by God's grace, I am what I am. That's the way the Christian life goes. In every way, we are growing up. Secondly, every saint contributes to the growth of every other saint. Paul says that every joint supplies. That word is, um, also can be translated ligament. You know, we know what ligaments are. We really need ligaments in our bodies, don't you think? It's great to have ligaments because they hold those bones together. If without the ligaments, we'd be a bag of bones laying on the ground with nowhere to go. We'd be like those flat Santas every Christmas in somebody's front yard. You know, useless, not able to go anywhere. Regardless of the level of our supply, regardless of the age of our Christian growth, every single one of us has something to contribute to the spiritual maturity of every other person. So never fall into the false humility that says, well, if I'm not gifted like so-and-so, I really don't have a place in the body. Listen, you are a channel to supply what is needed for the stability, the comfort, and the exhortation to love. Sometimes something as simple as, Lord, heal my brother, or Lord, intercede for my sister is all that is necessary. I had a, a good friend, a brother, come up to me before the first service, just throw his arm around me. He says, I know you've been sick. I'm going to pray for you to get healed. God, heal him. And then he said amen and walked away. Great. I mean, let's get to the point. Now, this last one is the most important that I want to say about this passage. The source of our of our our contribution is never natural. Never natural. Whatever seems natural to us, children's ministry, gathering on uh, Sunday mornings or Saturday nights for worship, going to a small group, taking a class, that all seems so natural to us because it happens with such regularity, with a sort of rhythmic regularity. And it, it becomes a part of how we live our lives on a daily basis. But here's what we need to understand. It is never merely natural. Why? Because in every case, the Spirit is present in large and small gatherings, doing what He does best ever since Genesis, and that is brooding over, hovering over the people of God, shaping them, forming them, bringing order out of chaotic hearts and minds. Downstairs right now, the Holy Spirit is brooding over your children, and he is ordering the instruction of the gospel on their hearts, and this is how God will use this to bring them to his son, bringing ordered gospel instruction, bringing reorientation to distracted minds in small groups and ushering us into the greater understanding of the love of God. The Holy Spirit is there all the time, training in righteousness, deepening our faith, challenging us to new levels of obedience, even when we're not aware of it. Now, I'm, a, I'm an incredible movie buff. I love movies. I even love bad movies, which is a terrible thing. Now, I had to sort of convince my wife that it's worth watching a bad movie all the way to the end just to see how this whole mess works out. And now she's hooked. I, I, I've done my job. Um, when you go to a movie, it says it's going to start at 2 o'clock. How many of you believe that movie's going to start at 2 o'clock? No. 
Something starts at 2 o'clock, but not the movie you want to see. What happens is you see a whole series of trailers, of previews of coming attractions. I never want to miss them. Because I want to know, what's the next movie I have to go see? And if the trailer does its job, it's going to inspire me to, to turn to my wife and say, that's one we got to go see. And most of the time she agrees. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, before the first service, Mike Bundy was telling me of a new movie that came out that he went to see. And he was like this walking trailer. I got so excited hearing about the actors and the writing and the cinematography. It was great. I said, That's, I got to go see that movie. It, Batman. Um, that's what Jesus wants for the church. He wants the church to be a preview of what's coming when he returns. He wants people to look into the church. He's giving them permission and authority to look at the church and look at the church growing itself in love, spreading the love of Christ outside, helping people understand that God is reigning over their lives even though they don't know it so that they can step back and say, my, look at how they love one another. I want to be a part of that. That's Jesus' plan for the church. And he's given the world the authority in order to make that judgment if we're doing it. Now, that's the sermon. And here's an important addendum to it. As elders, we looked at this, this uh, obligation that we have by Scripture to equip the saints in the work of the ministry. And we're doing that. I mean, there's preaching and there's teaching and, uh, you know, the Word of God is everywhere in every aspect of everything that we do. But we felt like something might have been missing, um, you know, something more intentional, something really direct about this. And so we put our minds to it, we prayed about it, and uh, we, we came up with what we're calling phase one training, and that is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry so that we could teach um, a sort of baseline requirements for anybody who wants to minister in the church, out the church, or even if you're not in a ministry or you don't plan to be in a ministry, these are the character qualities that you need to have as your foundation for whatever it is that you do. So what we did was to put together a two-and-a-half-hour tra uh, two training on five particular topics that we'll use as the foundation for anybody who's in ministry, so this is open to anyone or and everyone. And so here it is. It's an acrostic that stands for what we think are the five most important characteristics for anybody who is going to be um, a minister. First of all, the power of the gospel. We want people who minister the gospel to understand the power of the gospel and how it saves sinners, but also how the gospel saves believers. It brings us home. The H is for humility, an indispensable quality when you're a servant of the Lord. Um, a, avoiding spiritual decay. Now, I've, I've been in ministry a number of years, and I can tell you, the times when my spiritual tank was empty and I was still having to preach week after week after week after week. It's a danger to be involved so heavily in ministry that you don't really attend to your own spiritual growth. And so we want to help people to avoid that because ministry can be very demanding in its time. Um, fourth, servanthood. Obviously, we're servants. Jesus is servant. We have to be servants. And what does servanthood look like? And then finally, empowered by the Spirit, not by might, not by 
power, not by my skill, not by my experience, not by my degrees, but by your spirit, Lord, things change. And we need to trust the spirit of God is at work whenever we are serving him in any capacity. So we're launching this uh, new ministry. We want to do it periodically through the year. We haven't worked all that out yet. But what we do know is that on Saturday, March 19th, which uh, uh, will be at 9 in the the morning until 11.30 a.m., and on Monday, March 21st, from 6 to 8.30 p.m., we're inviting anybody and everybody who wants to come to one of those two meetings. You don't have to go to both, just one or the other, in order to understand what these five characteristics are about. And you, f- you can find it on our website, and you can sign up, which we'd appreciate, because we'll have material to give you, but we want to know how many people are coming. And uh, I think the great thing about all of this is that the elders are each taking one of those topics to teach. I think it's a marvelous thing for the elders to, to take this responsibility on and to train and equip the church for the work of ministry. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you gave gifts to the church. You gave good gifts, men and women who do the work of the ministry and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so, Father, we pray because of this that we want to uh, live up to those goals. We want to be changed and grow into these, these goals that you have for us as the body of Christ, to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we might share in the maturity of Christ and according to the measure of his own stature, which would be awesome, God. We don't want to be children any longer, uh, buffeted by all these waves and winds of doctrine, but rather we want to grow up and speak the truth of Christ in love. We want to grow up in every way into him who is the head, our Savior, Jesus. And so we pray that you will help us to be equipped, to contribute, and to be a part of what it takes to grow the body of Christ in love so that the world out there can see this and say, you know what? I want to be a part of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.